Um, kind of taking a little bit of a break in John so that we can line up John with Easter because we're right at the, the crucifixion time in John, so we might as well kind of put a little prolonging time in there so that in Easter we can finish John. So we brought in this, um, this series, and the design of this series, in case you haven't been here, is it's mainly for us as Christians. What we're doing is we're actually looking at our lives, looking at the different aspects of our lives, and asking this question. How can this specific aspect of my life be glorifying to God? So whatever it may be, whether we're going to do citizenship, employment, financial stewardship, marriage, all those aspects, I think is a proper question for every believer to actually just simply say, okay, God, how can I be glorifying in that aspect? And I think that's going to be the desire for every believer in this room, is there is a desire for us to want to be glorifying to Jesus. Something happens in redemption where desires change and we move from this desire simply of our flesh, even though it still exists, but now it's been added to want to, want to honor and worship our great God. And so that's going to be it. Today we're going to be dealing with family, or probably better would be parenting, um, because we will be doing marriage a little bit later. So we're going to look on how we can parent for the glory of God. And let me kind of tell you a little bit of what's going on, going on with me so you guys can be in prayer and just in understanding. This has been by far probably one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to put together. Not because of the content, but mainly because of just life. It's been, um, it's been a stressful time for my wife and I this past week. We have basically have made a huge life-changing decision. Last Sunday, we were in the midst of telling people that we were getting ready to move to Florida. So that kind of gives you an idea of what things were looking like for us. We're staying. That's not what's happening, which is good. So we're actually staying here. Um, but it gives you... <laughs> I say that because it gives you kind of some context because in this week, my mind has been just crazy. Thinking about moving my family across the nation, thinking about what's good for the family, what God would want us to do, to be in prayer. And my mind has just been all over the place. And then... I had to do a magic show for my brother's, my, my son's birthday party yesterday, which is vitally important to me, you know. But you take all of just everything that we've been going through, and, and then we had, I had to move into pre preparing for the sermon. And, you know, you spend time studying, and you, 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 you grab all of this content, and then sometimes it just is like, Lord, I have no idea what to do with this. I don't know where to go, and nothing's fitting. Um, and so I literally woke up this morning and erased everything that I even had on any kind of sheet. And I was panicking. You know, I was like, man, Lord, I don't know what to do. And so I even called Justin. I called Chuck. And I was like, guys, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm mentally there to present the Word of God. I don't think I, I'm capable of doing it. And Grandpa is much more gracious than Justin, you know. <laughs> Grandpa's like, well, maybe we can work something out. And Justin's like, no, buck up, you punk. It's, it's you're on there. And uh, 
And so, no, and he, you know, it's just like sometimes you, you just gotta, it was, it was very comforting because he said, you know what, your mind, not be, might, your mind not have, might not have been there right now, but go spend some time with the Lord and go back at it. And it was, it was amazing because I went in prayer, I got my mind settled, and you could tell that every single person prayed for me that I called. The elders were praying for me, and instantly it was like I had, I had at least I could take the content that I had and I could put it in an outline. And I'm thankful for God, I am. I'm thankful that God listens to prayers and cares for his children. So, but all that to say, who knows what's going to end up happening here. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll kind of go with it. But let's pray and ask God for his help, okay? And Lord, I do thank you for listening to the prayers of my brothers and sisters and, and even the prayers of mine that, um, you know, standing up here and opening up your word and teaching it to the church is a, is a scary thing. And I don't take it lightly, Lord. So that I ask that... I know my speech might not be eloquent today, but that is the, probably the best place for you to shine in your glory and to work through the hearts of people and parents and future parents. I, I pray that you, uh, you speak through me and your word is just hits our heart today. We ask this in your name. Amen. So I kind of narrowed it down to three principles that I saw biblically on parenting. Um, three principles that we could pull out and just look at. So we're going to go through all three of them and see where we end up. Number one, okay, again, we want to parent for the glory of God. How can we parent for the glory of God? And here's the first point that we got. To glorify God as a parent, we must imitate God as a parent. I want you to think about this for a moment. What is the the only glorious thing in the eyes of God. What is glorious in God's eyes? There can only be one thing, right? Himself. There is nothing that is more supremely valuable. There's nothing better than God. He is the greatest thing in the universe. There's nothing more supreme or wonderful than him. And so for God to give any honor or to have any pleasure on anything outside of himself would be idolatry because he is the greatest thing. So God is, sees glory in himself. That's where glory resides, in himself. And so when you come to creation... You have to recognize that all of creation is designed to reflect that glory. Because you'll read this from Paul in Colossians. He says this, that all things were created by him and for him. So everything that he has created was designed to give him pleasure and glory. Revelation will say it this way. It says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So everything was created so that God would receive pleasure. That's the purpose. And the only way that God can see glory or have any pleasure in anything is if it reflects Him. 
All of creation must reflect his glory. That is the purpose of creation. And so you go through the list and you'll see the stars are being created. You're seeing that the waters, the animals, the trees, everything is being created all to manifest an attribute or a, or a part of our grand and great God. Isaiah writes that the angel spoke in Isaiah 6 that the whole earth is full of his glory. That's because everything that he created was a picture, a reflection of who he was, or who he is. That's why you see in Psalms 19 that it says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The stars are there to display the power, the might, the, the majesty of our great God. That's why they exist. And that's why everything in all of creation exists. And so you come to man and family and nothing else changes. It's the purpose of why God created men and women and children and a family unit. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Starting in verse 26, I want to show you this. I want to show you what God was doing in his creation with man and family. So Genesis 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. He was making man to reflect who he is. So the image and the likeness of God was created into man. Okay? They're reflecting his glory. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So even the creation of man's job was to reflect God. God being an authoritative God in control of everything. He tells man who's in his likeness and in his image, I want you to have that role that is going to reflect who I am. So catch that. Everything that God creates is to reflect him. So God created man in his own image. God does it. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female he created them. So he creates man, he creates woman, and he institutes marriage. This again is another reflection of God. Marriage is designed to reflect God's relationship with his church. That's the idea of marriage. That's why it exists, is so that we can, we can depict, we can have a picture of God's relationship in that aspect. Don't miss that. Then it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So then God creates the avenue in which they can have children. So I want, you to, I want you to wed, I want you to be married, and then I want you to have children. I want you to be a family. And again, parenting, and the reason why we have parent, as, as reason why we can be parents is because God wants to let us see a picture of who he is to us. That's the ultimate picture. The reason why we know this is because when we get into eternity, none of that exists. Everything is placed right back in its rightful form. The church is with his, their, his, their groom, and we, the children, are with our Father. 
it is back in its rightful place, its right picture. And check this, guys. This is very important because the idea of family and its perception and its meaning is being attacked in our culture. So anything outside of what you see that God created would be a distortion of family. So the whole debate with homosexuality, it isn't a, a debate on whether we're, we're angry at them or we're being, you know, just mean. The debate is that this is a perversion of the glory of God. Because marriage is, that's the design. A man and a woman, God creates it so that we can, we can reflect God's glory. So anything outside of this would be a perversion of that. And so catch this, husbands and wives, the reason that you've been given the gift of marriage is not solely for, for yourselves. Even though it is a blessing and it is a wonderful gift from God, the reason it exists is so that we may reflect who God is. So parents, the reason why you have been given children not mainly for yourselves, even though the scripture says they are a blessing, and they are, they are a wonderful blessing. But the reason why you have it temporarily is so that you can reflect who God is. That's the purpose. That's the sole purpose. And that is a grand calling. And that's heavy. But that's what the design was for. All of creation is doing this. All of creation is shining bright the name of God in all aspects of what they do. And so should we. We should make our effort to allow our lives, especially in parenting, be glorifying and reflecting to God. So, if we are going to parent... For the glory of God, what we must do is we must reflect God as a father. That is the only way. So if we are going to be in this right aspect of actually giving glory to God, the only way that we can do it in a proper way is if we are reflecting the true picture, which is God as a father. So what we do is we take what we see God as a father as, and we go and apply that to, to our role as parents. Now catch this. When you go through the Bible, there, I, Larry brought this up the first time we were starting to make um, topics for this, um, for this um, sermon series. And he brought it up and he said, you know, there's not much about preaching. There's not much about parenting. And all of us in the preaching mirror were like listing out verses, you know, like, you know, the rod and train up a child, you know, and we're like, there's plenty of stuff in there. Trust me, Larry's right. There's, there's, not, there's not much in, in just the talk about parenting in the Bible. I mean, when it comes to the common sense things, the, the practical things, the personal preferences, how you raise your children, and the, the child-rearing stuff, that isn't, you don't find much of that in the Bible. And I think mainly because God is our example. He is the one that is going to demonstrate how he wants us to parent. 
So when we face our trials as parents, and we have all different contexts, all different children who act in all different ways, we're not going to be able to go to a Bible verse and apply it to everything. That's not going to be there. But the principle is God is saying, I am your father. Look at how I would parent. And do that and parent in that way, and that will reflect my glory. So, if we are going to parent for the glory of God, we are going to look at our example, and we're going to ask how he parents. And so, let's just look at a few examples. A few examples of our God as a father, and what characterizes him as a dad, and what he does in the parenting role. Okay? So, a few examples. To parent like Christ means that we love our children. This is the basic. This is, if we can put the theme over parenting, this is what it is. It is love. Is that God has given us our, ch- our children so that we would pour out love on them and we would be a reflection of what God does. This is what characterizes God. He is a God of love to his children. See, in 1 John, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Soak in that and understand that the calling as a parent is for us to love like Christ loves us. In deep ways, that's it. And so we can break down love the way love looks in a different, in in a few ways, on a few characteristics of of love. So it goes like this. Our love is going to be sacrificially. This is how God loves. He loves sacrificially. You know, we know the passage for, for... God demonstrated his own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love did not stop on what was convenient for him. He gave everything, even his own life for his children, so that he could be close to his children. So the love of a parent has to be sacrificial. If we are going to reflect God's glory in parenting, it has to be sacrificial. The kids come first. We give everything for them for the sake of love. Number two, that the love is provisionally. You know this passage in Matthew where Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value, value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Our God looks at his children and says, I will provide for you everything that we need. All our needs are met and beyond. And we sit here today blessed Because we have a God who is gracious in his provision. This is the job of a parent. We work hard to provide for our kids. And this is something that we should not take lightly. 
You know, a passage in 1 Timothy 5, 8, it says, if anyone does not provide for the needs of his family, he is worse than an unbeliever. Believe it or not, there are a lot of parents who see their kids as obstacles and in the way of them for doing their hobbies and their wants. And our calling in reflecting God's glory to our children is a provisional calling. We must go to work. We must do whatever it takes for our children. For our God has done that for us. Next, we have a, we have a compassionate, compassionately love. You look at this passage in Psalms 103.13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As parents, one of the best ways to love our children is through compassion. They are sinful beings. They are wretched beings. They will screw up often and often and often. They, yes, will screw up. I know that. But the goal of a father and a mother, one of the ways that we reflect God's glory is by showing compassion, being slow to anger, rich in mercy to our children. That is who God is to us. How dare we not show that to our children? Last way is permanent. Who can separate us from the love of God? Many of you guys in this room have children that have done horrible, horrible things to you. They've hurt you in many, many ways, and the relationship might be stained right now. But your call is to love them permanently. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have this great restoration right away, but we have a God that has many, many children that have gone on their own path. And he stays pursuing them, and he stays loving them with open hands whenever they want to come back. That's the call for us to reflect in the way of love. Another way that we can, that we can act as though we are, uh, go to the next slide, to parent, like what, to parent like Christ means that we will discipline our children. Hebrews 12, 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Discipline is a necessary factor for us to be parents. If we are going to be parents like Christ is a parent to us, and we're going to reflect his glory, discipline has to be a part of it. I was, I was talking to a guy the other day, and he was telling me that he never disciplines his kids. And then he goes on and describes that his kids are horrible kids. You know, it makes sense, you know. Um, it's interesting, there's this study, there's this study that um, the University of Harvard, that they did, and basically what they did is they identified several crucial factors in the development of juvenile delinquency. And with about 90% accuracy, they could determine whether a kid from five and six was going to have um, issues in delinquency. 90%. And so th- what they did is they were able to list four necessary factors in preventing this delinquency. Four factors. So if these things existed, most likely these kids would not have problems in between the ages of five and six. Pretty impressive. Here's, what they, here's, here's the factors that they had. First, that the father's discipline must be firm, fair, 
and consistent. That the Father was strong and firm and consistent in that. First thing that they noticed. Second, that the mother must know where her children are and what they are doing at all times and be with them as much as possible. Third, that the, ch- that the children need to see affection demonstrated between their parents and from their parents to them. And fourth, the family must spend time together as a unit. If those factors were there, most likely these kids would not have delinquent problems. But the one that's strong is that discipline is a factor. And not in malice. We don't discipline in malice because we're frustrated with our kids. We discipline so that we can correct kids. We can raise our children up. They can become mature, proper adults. So discipline is what our father would do. Thus, if we're going to reflect him as a parent, we must do it. And number three, if we're going to be a parent like Christ, we must dwell with our kids. We must be with our children. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? We have a father who has not said, Okay, you're my child, but go and try to figure it out on your own. But rather we have a God who has chosen to dwell with his children so that his life can be reproduced in theirs. Again, that is the, that is the perfect picture and what we should be following. That we should be parents who dwell with our kids in hopes of uh, transferring our life unto them. This kind of moves me to the second principle. Okay? Second principle. You can go to the next slide. Is to glorify God. To glorify God as a parent, we must teach our children. It is the responsibility of the parents to do the teaching and to do the nurturing and to do the training. This is our responsibility. If we're going to glorify God, this is what God has called the parents to do. There's become a culture of parents who assume the responsibility of teaching their children is everybody else's but theirs. So morality and ethics is being taught from the professor in the college room that is outside of the context of the Bible. The gospel, who God is, is being passed on to the youth pastors, the children pastors, and the staff in the church. And it has become the role of media and music and our, our outside culture to teach our kids the virtues of life. And this has screwed our children up greatly. Because the parents aren't taking their lives and saying, I want to pour into you everything that I know, everything that is important, everything that I have learned, everything from life to spirituality to work ethic to whatever you can imagine. It is my job to teach you that. And if we let the world do that, 
it becomes a dangerous, dangerous thing. Our Heavenly Father, again, has chosen to come to us, to live in us, and teach us as we walk as His children. He constantly is convicting and showing us and maturing us towards all aspects of our walk. And so should we see our role as parents. You think about the people who have affected you the most in life are most likely the people who have spent the most time with you. My wife to this day makes fun of me because I do the same jokes my dad says all the time. Every one of my brothers, we love music. You know why? Because my dad was a crazy hippie and he loved music. Seriously, every one of us. Sports, we all played sports because my dad was passionate about it. And he dwelt with us. You know what? All of us love Jesus. Because of my mom and dad. That was their greatest passion. Parents, if we are not passionate about Jesus and we just see God and church as a religious system that we are to throw our kids in and say, go and learn, son, it's, it's good for you. It'll be nothing more than a religious system to them. of what our children learn will not be verbal teaching. 90% of what they learn is everything that they watch from you. How you speak to your spouse. What you talk about. What makes you happy, what makes you sad. They pick up on that so quickly. Proverbs 22.6, one of the few passages about parenting, but it's, it, it tells it, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me. A very, very important passage to any Jew. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he calls them to do something. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's the start, is that your heart and your passion for God is towards love for him. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. The commands from God are to sit deep from inside. And then he says, impress them on your children. 
talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God called the nation of Israel to say, Love me. Let my commands be deep in your heart and then tell your children consistently. The most important thing that we can do for our children is to intentionally and continually bring our kids up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. You, mom and dad, and dad, mainly you will be the leader in this. And this is to come from the heart of a child of God. A passionate love for him. Again, this is the ultimate call of a parent. To be the teacher. To be the one whose life is being transferred to the child. That's what we're called to do. Number three. To glorify God as a parent... We must not exasperate our children. A couple, couple verses, Colossians 3, 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Ephesians chapter 6, fathers, but that word also could be translated parents. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As parents... The goal is not to crush our child, but to cultivate it. The goal as parents is not to punish the child out of malice and anger, but to correct the child. We have to be discerning with our child to make sure that we don't frustrate our children. It's so easy for parents to do that. To, so easy just to have a very frustrating day. Things are crazy. The, the house is a mess. And all of a sudden the kids become a nuisance and they feel that. And so your reaction is anger. Your reaction is bitterness. Your reaction is full-blown malice. That's what the Bible says we should not do. Why? Because our God is our example again. He has many wayward children, but the Bible says he is slow to anger. Rich in mercy. He is patient with us. And we must, with our children. I was reading MacArthur, and he, he had actually listed ten ways that we can exasperate our children. It's pretty good. So I thought I'd actually kind of list them off for you and give a little bit of understanding of, of ways that we can prevent frustrating our children. Number one, the way that we can do it is by overprotection. We as parents are not called to grab our kids and to keep them in our little shell and to have them as our little people. That's not our responsibility. That is not our job. Our job is to cultivate young men and women into adults. And so, 
That means we have to let them experience the world. We have to let them go and be an adventurer and discover the world. And one way that you will exasperate your child is if you overprotect them. If you don't give them that freedom, it becomes very, very frustrating. Some of you are shaking your heads because you were that child. Secondly, the way you can frustrate your child is by favoritism. You know, one of the greatest stories in the Bible, Jacob and Esau, is a complete picture of poor parenting. You had one who loved this one and one who loved this one, and then they were fighting on who got the blessing, you know, and you know how that family became. But our job as a parent is to love our children and love them equally. And that's, that takes some discerning on how you approach that with your kids because each kid, it's, I don't want to say it's easier to love, but I think you know what I mean. There's a sense that because their behavior, you can connect a little bit easier. But you have to be careful not to show favoritism between the two, or the three, or the four, or the five, or however many are Daniel's family, 11, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Thirdly, you can cause a child to become angry by setting unrealistic achievement goals. There have been multiple, multiple stories of suicide because children felt like they could not please their parents because their parents had these goals and they were and, and the child could not meet those goals remember our heavenly father is not it's not what we do that makes him proud of us he is proud of us he does love us and so we work to want to please our father and same should feel, the feeling should be from the parent-child relationship. They should feel that immense amount of love and support and confidence that you can do whatever it is, but go work hard, son or daughter. But to set these goals, levels that they can't meet can be frustrating for the child. You can frustrate your child to anger by overindulgence, by giving them everything you, they want. You can exasperate them by letting them sin and get away with it so they learn to do that successfully. Ultimately, when they face the world and the people don't serve them and don't take all the responsibility for them and for their misdeeds, they will get angry and bitter and violent. It's just exactly the kind of generation we're seeing raised today. The generation where kids expect they, they think they're owed everything. It will frustrate them. It's not a great idea. Fifthly, you can exasperate your child by discouragement. A child that does not feel supported by a parent, but is also all, all the time torn down, told that they are worthless, no good, will frustrate, will frustrate that kid. You can provoke your children to anger, number six, by failing to sacrifice for them. When you make your family about you and about your needs and about your desires, that will frustrate everyone around you. The call to the parent, especially the fathers and the mothers, are to sacrifice for the children. 
and to not make them feel like they're that nuisance and that they're in the way of what you really want to do. Number seven, you can provoke your children angry by, by failing to allow for some growing up. To not let your kids make mistakes. To get mad at them when they spill the water on the, on the table. Mistakes is part of life. And it's, it's how we learn. And if a mistake is not allowed, you will frustrate your kids. Number eight, you can, pro- you can provoke your ch- children to anger by neglect. Neglect is a serious, serious issue within our culture. The amount of children that are being ignored, not loved, is destroying our children. Number nine, you can provoke your children to anger by abusive words. Again, the way you speak to your children leaves a mark forever. Some people, even in this room, still hear the words of their parents. And lastly, physical abuse. To beat or to hit a child is never, never okay. We are called to imitate God as a father. We are called to teach our children. And we are called to not exasperate our children. If we live in those guidelines, as a parent, we can be glorifying to God. And you and your children will be blessed. Let's pray. Lord, you are a good father and one that we can take your example and continue to learn from. I ask that you know, me even as a father that you convict and give me mercy and grace to do this calling that you have given me. And I pray for the other parents in here who have, who have kids that are that the situation that they're in, they don't know what to do currently. They don't know how to act. But we pray that you, uh, you give wisdom on when to speak out and when to be quiet and how they can parent for your glory. Thank you for being that great God and that great Father. We ask this in your name. Amen.